Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels here, and it's a World Series special episode. The World Series starts tonight. We're hours away from the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians, my Cleveland Indians, in the World Series hosting Game 1. I'm in Cleveland re-recording the podcast about the World Series, and it's going to be a good one. We have Adam Musto from the NFL Network, a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan, a diehard Cubs fan, and a Chicago native. He's going to get his side of things. And then we have Scott Royer, a friend of mine from grade school all the way through high school, a Cleveland native, and we're going to talk all things Indians. Game one tonight. We're all excited. It's the Money Mitch Effect World Series preview. Starts right now. All right, now joining the show, we have Adam Musto. Adam and I used to work together at NFL Network. Adam is a lifelong Chicago sports fan. Adam, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mitch. So, full disclosure, Adam, you're a Chicago guy. I'm a Cleveland guy. It's pretty crazy that our two baseball teams are meeting in the World Series, but here we are, the Chicago Cubs, with their first pennant since 1945. And for a team that hasn't won uh, a World Series in over 100 years, a baseball's uh, heavy town, it's hard for me to understand what this moment feels like, so I'll let you do your best to describe what it was like when the Cubs finally did get the clinch and win to advance to the World Series. Yeah, it was just a really amazing feeling. I think a lot of people were, you know, in their own moment, and everyone's different from as far as their level as as a fan. I think a lot of people were getting pretty emotional and just kind of thinking about the other people in their lives, whether it was, you know, grandparents or uncles and stuff that weren't there, you know, and what it means for the city. I think... I think there was a lot of people realized that this is something that, you know, a lot of people have gone without seeing and, and just how special it was. Um, and, it, yeah, it's just crazy because if you look at the postseason history of the Cubs, it's just they haven't had a whole lot since making it to the World Series in 45 and a lot of heartbreak. But, you know, this team has been on a mission, and I think um, it's kind of crazy how when I was growing up, Wrigley Field was absolutely the special place and tickets were a hot commodity, whether they won or lost. And then, then they kind of dipped for a little bit around, you know, a- after the 100th anniversary of the World Series in 2008, a lot of people thought that would be the year. Um, but we, what we kind of found out was those teams were just kind of cobbled together, I think, with a lot of old veteran players, maybe a little past their prime. Um, I think they were forcing it and kind of hoping that, well, we're just going to win because, you know, good fortune is on our side. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had to blow it all up. And, you know, there's definitely some dark days. And I think at that point, around 2011, 2012, uh, people didn't, necessarily expect much and kind of the magic of Wrigley Field was gone and ticket sales were down you would go to games and there'd be a lot of empty seats which was pretty rare Um, but once they got Theo Epstein there was definitely something special there and I think the ownership was all in and it was really just a matter of time you know when the Chicago Tribune used to own the Cubs before them and and the kind of idea was you know you just open up the ballpark sell the popcorn people will come and it doesn't really matter if they win or lose so um, as long as that formula works, you know, winning a World Series probably wasn't a top priority, um, but everyone's all on board now. Right, and I think it's pretty cool to see a team like the Chicago Cubs with all that tradition, uh, not only to finally get back, you know, to the hollow ground of the World Series, but to do it at home, I think, means a little bit more, uh, especially on the optics. You know, I watched that game, you've lived that crowd before, 
What went through your mind seeing the win, you know, a, a comfortable win, obviously baseball you never know until the final out, but a comfortable yeah. win and to do it at home in front of a raucous crowd that was, you know, quite frankly ready for it. Yeah, it was kind of everything coming together at once and it was kind of perfect because, yeah, if you go back to 03, the Bartman year, you know, they had a 3-0 lead in the eighth inning, which is really nothing. So now, you know, they got up early and I think what really obviously shocked a lot of people was just that it was done against Clayton Kershaw which, you know, it's, I didn't even realize statistically how good he is, but if you really look at oh, his yeah. win-loss record, um, you know, he's going against guys that played in the 20s and 30s as definitely one of the all-time greats. So, um, you know, it's almost ironic in a sense because I think in 2003 they had Mark Pryor on the mound and it was kind of flipped where they had the young gun who had his stuff. Um, this time, you know, people probably thought if it got to a game seven, we would still have a pretty good shot. Um but yeah, I think doing it at home is, is it's so much different. You know, when the White Sox won in 05, they clinched the pennant in um, Anaheim, if I'm not mistaken, and then they won the World Series in Houston. So it was a little different. Um, and then actually, you know, it's kind of funny you brought that up because the Blackhawks, they're of the three championships they've won recently. The first two, they, they won the, the title on the road. This year they had a chance to clinch it at home, and it was a big thing. It was almost like a lot of people thought – this was the first title that they won at home, just to be able to see it and be close to it and know right. the players are in your same hometown. And I think Jordan's um, Bulls, they split three and three home and away. Yeah, I know correct. the first one was in L.A., and then the second one was really special against the Trailblazers. I was in Chicago, and it kind of went back and forth. So people, I think, in any city that are able to witness a championship, it's really all about civic pride and knowing that you know, your team has bragging rights. They have the best team you know, team in the in in the land, and I think anytime you can share that with people, you know, the people are still going to go out, and it's going to be crazy if it's on the road, but it's just definitely a lot more special when it's at home. Right, and, um, you know, I think like you, you touched on a good point, the fact that when you were growing up, you know, both of us respectively, you in Chicago, Chicago was known as the basketball-football combination for what were the standard bearers in sports, and it's funny to see that in the last you know, 10, definitely five years, it's kind of switched to baseball and hockey, how that changing of the guard has taken place. And I think a common denominator there has been the influx of young talent. There might not be a better roster in the NHL or, quite frankly, MLB than what the two Chicago teams, the Cubs and the Blackhawks, have to offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I think ownership is just the big part of it. And Sports is kind of set up in a way where, you know, you don't necessarily need to put a winning product on the field to make money. And, and I, I think you can get into some franchises where maybe the owners really don't care that much or they'll say they care, but it's kind of smoke and mirrors. Um, and when it really gets down to it, it's about drafting players well, um, you know, signing quality free agents, not just signing free agents because they're big names or because, you know, they might sell a few extra tickets, um, but to really have a sustainable product. And I think, you know, from my experience in Chicago, it, it does seem like it kind of um, starts with ownership. I think, you know, the Bears are kind of slow in their ways, um, and they're kind of riding the coattails of the 85 Bears, but there's not a whole lot of, you know, yeah. building from the ground up now. And, you know, and, and it's frustrating as a Bears fan. I, I know we've talked about the rivalry between the Bears and the Packers and how the Packers have owned the Bears. And when you look at statistically what the how the Packers have built their team with draft quality draft picks and you know, a very few free agents, but, you know, some that can help the team. Um, it's a lot easier than trying to reach for guys that are kind of past their prime or, you know, spending a lot of money on one guy where you might be able to get a couple quality guys. Right, and that's that Theo. And that's Theo for the Cubs, uh, what he's done, what he did in Boston, and now what he's doing 
uh, for this Cubs team. It took him a lot of years, Theo Epstein, to get rid of all those bad contracts that management before him had mm-hmm. put on the books. He did that. He drafted smart. And here we are with a Cubs team that dominated the baseball regular season and is into the World Series. Yeah, and it's amazing. You know, I, I don't know all you know the moving parts he's done. You know, I've read Moneyball and I read a couple other books about um, that whole process. But it, yeah, it's really incredible um, to be able to build something like that. Um, you know, the, the Blackhawks were fortunate to get Taze and and Kane and back to back drafts. I, I don't know if Kevin White and Leonard Floyd on the Bears will have that same impact. Time will tell. It doesn't really look like that now. Yeah, not, um, not looking good right now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think you just have to be in a position where you. You know, you might have a couple years where you'll get lucky and and fall into a really good pick. And I think you want to hope that in those years, those are going to be quality players. I mean, that kind of happened with the Bulls, with Derrick Rose, where they were, you know, not at all expected to have the first pick that year. And even that year, it was still kind of a toss up at at times before the draft between Rose and Michael Beasley. And, And obviously for Rose, in the end, it didn't really turn out as it could have been, but, you know, he was still a league MVP, and before the knee injury, they had the best record in the East, so you kind of see that in the NFL, where you do want to probably get the first pick when you have a guy like Andrew Luck available, mm-hmm. um, one of those once-in-a-generation players, and, and you just can't miss. I think, you know, it's funny with the Bears, they've had a lot of those these years where they're kind of between 7 and 9, 9 and 7, and are picking kind of in like a 15, 18 slot, where, you know, you might get a good player, but you're, it's going to be a little harder to get the, that Hall of Fame, you know, franchise changer, and so when you do pick, you know, in the top 10, you really have to hit because um, you really can't afford to miss year in and year out. For sure. Talking with Adam Musto on the Money Mitch Effect. Um, and Adam, as we dive deeper into this Cubs team, I look at what happened in this series. Uh, I think, jumping a little bit ahead here, I think this Cubs team, it was gonna, it's going to be a good thing that they faced adversity because I think you would agree that it was as dream as dreamy of a regular season as you could possibly imagine. But to have a series with the Giants and then another one with the Dodgers where they, you know, fell behind at times, the Dodgers took a 2-1 lead, and to be able to bounce back, I think it showed a lot about their character, especially in that dressing room uh, with their premier players who woke up at the end of the series. Yeah, and it's crazy how the momentum of baseball literally can swing 180 degrees on a pitch or an inning or a single game. Um, You know, just kind of the mood, you know, looking at the news articles in Chicago was – going back to the Dodgers series, when they were down 2-1, I think a lot of people in Chicago kind of thought, oh, here we go again. You know, the Cubs, the Cubs had lost to the Dodgers in 08. That was the 100th anniversary of the championship and pretty did it in pretty unspectacular fashion. They got swept. I don't even know if they, they led did. in that series or they didn't score very many well, runs. Yeah, so and think, they got destroyed in the two games at Wrigley Field. I think that's the lasting memory of that series. Right. Yeah, because they had the best record in the league, you know, in the National League. And it should not, you know, I, I think they were, ex, you know, favored to win and didn't turn out that way. So, you know, I, I was thinking about it. I, I think the perspective change is based on experience. And, and I think the only thing the Cubs have had for their fans is, you know, a lot of here we go again, not a whole lot of success in the playoffs. When you look at historically, um, you know, I think some good indicators were maybe the 89 and the 98 series. Um, where they went out against the Giants in 89 and the, the, the Braves in, in 98, where it was just kind of, we made the playoffs, and then they were out, and that was it. I mean, 07, 08 were kind of similar. Right. Um, and, yeah, everyone was really, a lot of people were down, and I, and I kind of was in that mindset too, And you know, but they didn't score a single run in two games. And it was the same thing the last you know game against the Giants, but it was kind of funny going into that ninth inning. I kind of had a, a somewhat good feeling. I thought, 
you know, the, the heart of the lineup was coming up. This is when, you know, Rizzo or, uh, you know, Bryant, the MVP candidate, can kind of, mark, you know, make his mark, put his stamp on the playoffs, which I think the great players in this game do. Um, you know, I would just kind of go back to a lot of the, you know, Chicago fans have gotten on the ship of the Blackhawks recently. We, we've seen so much. I mean, hockey is such a crazy sport, but in the playoffs, you know, they've been down games 3-0 or series 3-0 and forced game sevens or right. one series that they were down 3-1. So it's very possible. And then, you know, going back to the Bears and when they made it to the Super Bowl in 2006, I think a lot of people had, you know, would always think, oh, they, you know, they had that amazing comeback against the Cardinals. Um, in 2001, they had a couple of really amazing comebacks. If people expect that, then they'll be like, well, I've seen this before. I'm going to see it again. You know, and then by, you know, after they kind of, you know, the bats awoke against the Dodgers, it was kind of smooth sailing. It was just funny that how it changed, how you're down 2-1 and you're thinking, oh, the series is over. And then you're up 3-2 and you're thinking, well, we're definitely going to win game six. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's good. I mean, I keep going back to it. It's always good to face adversity at some point, so you're battle-tested. Down 2-1, still not the end of the road, considering how the Dodgers grinded out those games. And ultimately, you know, the pitching wasn't the problem. It was the hitting. The bats woke up. Madden made the right changes. I think, you know, everything, you know, the averages will always show up. It'll always even out, and I think it would have been a huge shocking letdown to see the Cubs go hitless for four straight games. I didn't see it happening, and eventually, you know, the bats did wake up. It was not, you know, surprising to me to see Rizzo, Russell, you know, and Brian, you know, step alive and, and will this one up. Mm-hmm. Right, and because I think what kind of, you know, gave the Cubs trouble last year in the playoffs was that the, the starting pitching really wasn't there. And, yeah, I think the adversity is huge. I think a lot of people in Chicago are kind of worried about, all the statistics about how, you know, the teams with the best record historically don't do well in the playoffs. And, and, you know, they saw what the Golden State Warriors did in the NBA finals. And, you know, they kind of cruised through most of the season. They had a little bit of a slump right before the All-Star game. Um, and, yeah, it's just so much different, I think, maybe comparing it to in 05 when the White Sox won, where they, I mean, they did go wire to wire, but toward the end of the season, it got really close. And, they you know, they barely edged out the division. I think at one point it was only, they only had a one or two game lead. Oh, I remember um, that. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, But, you know, they ended up only losing one game in the playoffs. And I know it's a lot different with the DH uh, in the AL. You know, there's so many different strategies. That was one thing I was, I definitely learned so much in, you know, the last few weeks with with Joe Madden's strategies and stuff. You know, the White Sox were able to, uh, you know, have all their starting pitchers throw, I think, three, uh, four or five complete uh, complete games, which, you know, I, I don't, I think that's a record. So, yeah, I mean, it all, it all worked out. And, you know, I would say also the playoff experience of last year helped too. It's a young team and, you know, it's just crazy how one year you go into and you're raw and you're learning. And then the second year you're kind of the veteran group, but you know, that's what the Dodgers and the Giants are also. I mean, they're in the playoffs every year. For sure. Talking with Adam Musto on the money Mitch effect and let's look now at that world series. And, uh, we're recording this on a Sunday night, so we don't have uh, the up-to-date stats of uh, lineups and pitching uh, rotations, so to speak. So, We'll do our best to forecast that by the time you're listening it. You'll probably be me listening to this. You'll probably be a little bit reinformed with that. But, Adam, as I look at the Cubs pitching rotation against this Indians lineup, an Indians team that, uh, as an honest fan, I know struggled at times hitting uh, throughout these playoffs despite how dominant they were. How confident are you as a Cubs fan in the arms going into the World Series, in Hendricks coming off of a dynamic, dominant performance to clinch in Leicester and in Arietta to lead that rotation. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I'm so impressed with Kyle Hendricks. I was fortunate to see him throw a complete game at Wrigley earlier this season. Um, and, you know, where he's come from is just amazing. And, and you know, I think Lester has, has done phenomenal also. I, I do feel like Arietta has slipped a little bit. I mean, he's still very good, but the magic from last year isn't there. He's not, you know, the guy last year was kind of a okay, no, he'll start, yeah. he'll definitely win. So, you know, that might be susceptible. could definitely see him getting a no decision or, or maybe factoring in a loss. Um, and, you know, Lackey's been kind of hit or miss. I know he struggled a little bit. Obviously, he has the unbelievable postseason resume and experience. So I think the leadership will help. Um, but, you know, I, I think they might be a little bit vulnerable there. But, you know, maybe by being vulnerable, it means only giving up three or four runs instead of like a shutout. So I, I think that could potentially be where the hole is. So obviously it's just going to come down to where what happens with the bats. And, you know, the big story is that uh, Kyle Schwarber was, you know, is back in the minor league. So there's a small, slight chance he could do his best impression of Kirk Gibson and possibly be a DH at some point, you know, yeah, when that, the that, series goes to the Indians <laughs> ballpark. That would be wild for sure. Uh, yeah. As as a counter to that, as someone obviously supporting the Indians here, you know, looking at your starting pitching, I think it's very important to now let those guys get into a groove. And if there's one area that I think the teams that have capitalized against the Cubs have done it, is that early bullpen work, getting them out and, and taking advantage of that. But I keep going back to the Cleveland side of things, Adam, and that's Kluber going game one. You have Bauer, Tomlin at 2-3 in some order that we don't know of yet some uncertainty with the rest of the staff. I look at game one as a must-win for Cleveland, and I would expect uh, Terry Francona to do everything he can to get that win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, anytime you could pick up a game on the road, it's going, you know, it'd be huge. So um, it'll definitely switch the momentum. I mean, I'm also curious, how do you think the rest will help your guys? I, you know, selfishly, I was kind of rooting for a longer series between the Blue Jays and Indians. Just so you'd have to mow through a couple of your pitchers, but you know it seems like it's been forever well, you know, in the baseball world. The funny thing about that is it's bad luck in the last couple of years. The team that's clinched first, you know, hasn't won the World Series in a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think it's good to kind of give Bauer some rest. Hopefully, he's not playing around with his drone at all. He's you know actually working on uh, some important things. And for your Schwarber uh, coming back, and that is a great you know if he can come back, it's a great addition. Obviously, how good of a hitter he is. But the possibility of maybe Salazar being available as a pitcher could be huge, even if it is in limited minutes uh, in the bullpen. Um, yeah, and I'm also kind of interested in just kind of, you know, I don't know if the Cubs will face any fatigue from, you know, going from Los Angeles. You know, it might be maybe an advantage that for both of these teams that it's a relatively quick trip from Cleveland to Chicago and back. So um, I don't know if there's any lasting, you know, impact. And obviously baseball players are used to playing every day, and it's a, it's a grind. So I'm sure they'll make up for it. But, you know, maybe in a couple extra nights of sleep would, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, would, I would say one other potential weakness that just came to mind with Lester He's a guy that hates to field his position and hates right. to throw to first. The Indians are a small ball team, and I think they'll try to frustrate him, uh, which is probably the best way to get to a guy as talented as him is to frustrate him in those areas. Yeah, I think that would definitely work. Yeah, it's it's a funny funk that he's in, but, uh, yeah, I guess that's a, a part of his game. Now, the Cubs' offense, the bats really woke up in that last series. They're, fi- they're going to be facing a dominant pitching team, though, a team that's ERA in Cleveland that has been – you know, staggering when you get into the postseason. And Andrew Miller, when you get to that pen, into Allen, it's been dominant. How is your confidence level going into this series with the Bats woken up, facing their toughest test, their final test of the season? 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the one thing that I'm, I was very happy to see was just Anthony Rizzo really wake up in the last couple games. Um, and, you know, they do have a lot of potential to put up some crooked numbers kind of in the heart of that order. So, um, you know, baseball is just such a funny game with the slumps. You really don't know at all. And, you know, Jason Hayward has been in a crazy slump, but, you know, he didn't start the last game. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I haven't really been able to see a whole lot of the Indians pitchers and see exactly what they do and, you know, what they could do to frustrate the Cubs. But, um, and, you know, they're, they're really not, I guess, a small ball team. But, you know, I know it'll just be interesting. I'm sure that the guys will be loose. And I don't know if, you know, playing in the World Series, if it's, and this would probably be the case for both teams, but saying, hey, I want to be, you know, the next uh, Reggie Jackson, the guy that, you know, everyone knows in, in Mr. October. So that would kind of be an interesting thing. Um, and maybe that would be enough motivation. Right, and you don't want them to get too tight, obviously. You know, it's, it's going to be the first game, which is, it adds an element to how important it is. What are, each, what are the players going to look like when most of these guys have never played in a World Series before? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I keep going yeah. back to the team that gets the lead. You know, Adam, I think if you can get either in the Cubs' case, deep into the game with a starting pitcher with the lead, or in the Indians' case, get to the bullpen quicker with the lead, you can bring in Miller, you can bring in Allen, I think that's a very dangerous position for these teams to be in. Right, and I think you know if you fall behind consistently, you're always pressing, and you kind of get more desperate. And, oh, and I don't sure. think that can you know ever be a good thing. Um, I think that's kind of what we saw you know in the '07 and '08 runs, where you just kind of felt behind the eight ball the entire series or the you know game after game. Um, and that's probably when you try too hard and you try to force things, and you know the frustration can mount. Yeah, and uh, I want to ask you about the managers as well. Would you say, is this a true statement, that Terry Francona and Joe Madden are the best two managers in baseball? Yeah, I would, you know, I, I, I would say so, yeah. I think you know, Francona has all the experience with Boston. He's done, a, you know, done an amazing job, and, and you know, Madden is kind of the wild guy, which you, you know, he's going to try a bunch of different stuff. I think in the beat, you know, maybe some of the games against the Giants, some people thought maybe he outsmarted himself. So you never really know, you know, what what's up his sleeve. It'll be interesting, I think, to see how the dynamic of obviously going back between the AL and the NL will will differ with the DH, and then also, you know, back at the games in Wrigley, you know, how you manage bringing in, you know, substitutes for your pitchers to hit, or or you know, I think that's kind of the frustrating thing of baseball when you know you finally get some momentum from your bats. And you have a couple people on, but then you know you're facing the seven, eight, nine, ninth, you know, positions on your lineup, and you know the pitcher's coming up, and he's going to have to make a play. And yeah. you know, I think you know if if you have great pitching, it is kind of frustrating if you have to let a guy go early, you know, in the sixth inning or something, you know, uh, to maybe get an extra run. Both both managers, and all due respect to Bruce Bochy, I, I think he's right in the discussion as well. He's obviously won, you know, more than both of these guys. But I like the management decisions. I like the aggressive style of both of these managers. They're very similar. I think they have a great command of their bullpen. And if you talk AL versus NL, and what the, the difference is obviously, obviously with the DH and uh, the Indians having to bat their pitcher, I actually think Francona's in a good position to handle this because he's so good with his bullpen. I think you, know, you look at uh, a manager in Terry Francona who can go to his bullpen more frequently, who's shown an ability to make the, the you know aggressive decisions when he needs to, I think that sets him up better than the average American League manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd be interested to know if, you know, Joe Madden still has a chip on his shoulder from, you know, getting so far with the Tampa Bay Rays and not finishing the deal. Um, 
and you know if you can get the job done in Chicago, obviously you'll kind of be set for a long time. So, um, oh, yeah. but, you know, that's just a little part of it. Yeah, and talking with Adam Musso on the Money Mitch Effect before we wrap this up, talking about Cubs and Indians, and this is the Cubs perspective. We're going to do a second interview where I go more tribe-centric, but I have to be fair. You know, I have to give you guys your due and your chance to explain everything. There is a two teams here. Obviously, the Cubs have not won in over 100 years. The Indians going on about 70 years, 1948, the last championship there. We're essentially talking... Curse first, curse here, and obviously the Cubs have more years, but Adam, do you think that that's going to add any fever to this game, having two teams, two passionate sports towns that haven't seen a baseball championship for their respective clubs in a long, long time? Yeah, I would say that whoever wins or whoever loses, I think, you know, might be a little salty that, oh, why did this city, you know, win one before we did? (laughs) There's a lot Um, of that, yeah. So... Um, yeah, I think it, you know it's a, it's a great story. I think a lot of people will definitely like to root for the underdog, and in this situation, you have two underdogs. Um, you know, I, I always remember going back to the ALCS. I would always be rooting for the Red Sox over the Yankees. Um, so you know, it, it's just great for the fan bases. I think a lot of people are just trying to soak up the memories, you know, live in the moment, and kind of remember everything about it, every single moment where you are, whether it's you know at, at at a bar watching the game with friends or, you know, family that are huge Cubs fans or, you know, some people need to be in the stadium or, you know, around the stadium. Obviously, I think Chicago and Cleveland are both set up where, you know, you can witness all the festivities in the game nearby, you know, a few steps from the stadium. Um, so, you know, I think there's been definitely times where teams have made the made the World Series and lost, but, you know, they still remember the run and how magical it is. Um I, I guess you probably have to be confident in your team with, you know, a lot of young players that hopefully, hopefully, you know, it's not the first time or the last time they'll be in it, but obviously nothing's guaranteed. And, you know, you can't just kind of hang your hat on, well, we'll be there next year because, you know, there's going to be that many more teams coming after you. Right. That's the part of sports that people take for granted is that you start at the same ground level as everybody else come next season. Mm-hmm. Just because you got to the finals or the World Series doesn't mean you're going to go back next year. Having said that, I think both these teams are set up for good futures. Um, I think uh, neither team will take a built-in excuse. I really respect that about the Cubs and obviously the Indians losing two pitchers. The Cubs losing Schwarber early in the year and moving on and doing so well. Uh, But I think it's cool to see two sports towns, two teams that haven't won. You know, they're not, you know, they're not getting uh, spoiled by winning. You know, they're so thirsty for it. And I think it's good. I think it's going to add to the excitement and ultimately make for a better uh, World Series. And uh, I'm going to wrap this up with one last thing. And apologies to uh, you know Bill Murray. I'm going to hate to be on the other side of him this series, um, rooting against him. But should the Cubs win, Adam, what would a World Series mean you know to you and ultimately to your city? Well. You know, it would just be an amazing experience. I think I'd be very fortunate to think about, you know, just being able to witness it and, you know, all the people that went their lives without being able to witness it and just kind of reflecting on what it meant to, you know, there's a lot of people that are much bigger Cub fans than me. Um, I'd probably consider myself like a second-tier Cubs fan. You know, I, I I don't watch every single game, you know, every single pitch. But, but you know, you just are filled with so much civic pride when they do win. And um, I think... You know, it's just an exciting time for the city. And, you know, I've been kind of fortunate that, you know, growing up with the Bears, I mean, uh, the Bulls and, you know, what the Blackhawks have done in their, in, you know, since 2010, um, 
so you know, I was pretty emotional when they clinched the NLCS, and um, you know, the last few weeks just watching a lot of old highlights and and you know, thinking about what what the Cubs mean for the city, what Wrigley Field means for the city, and just how it affects a lot of people's days and emotions. I mean, you know, the the game was 24 hours ago, and today I was probably riding an all day high just from from that. Um, so I think it's just about having those feelings and, you know, it's kind of on the flip side, you know, when I, I was at the three games, uh, out here in Los Angeles, the, uh, the Cubs Dodgers games, and after they lost game three, I was really down and, you know, just kind of reflecting on what, you know, a loss to the series would mean. And, you know, it wasn't a very good feeling. Right. Chicago wins. It's hard for me to put myself in that perspective, but it's almost like, you know, your, your fandom is pretty much, I don't want to say complete, but you've seen another team that passionately cared about win the championship, win the World Series. And I think it's good for the city. Uh, you mentioned civic pride. The Cubs are a team that embodies that, have had such you know loyalty. You know, I'm a Cleveland guy, and obviously as a Browns fan, I know what real loyalty is. But for a franchise to not win a title in 100, you know, 109, 108 years, if they finally get it done with the feverish fan base that you know stuck with them, some of them not living to see it, I think that'd be really cool from your perspective. I, I know from my perspective it's the same way. It's a team that has the fans that have been there, stuck with them through and through, seen heartbreak firsthand in the World Series, and ultimately are on the doorstep of something special. Um, but you know, a loss in sports. You know, we we have to we have to keep that in mind. It wouldn't be. You know, it wouldn't be competitive. It wouldn't be competitive sports if losing wasn't a possibility. Championships aren't given and they're earned. So I think, you know, that adds to it is to win this title. You know the Cubs are going to have to earn it. Right. And, you know, I would go back to, like, when the Bears lost the Super Bowl to the Colts. You know, a lot of people were saying, oh, Indianapolis are just a small town. They've only had a team for, you know, a couple decades before they moved from Baltimore. Why do they deserve it? Um, And, yeah, I I mean, I think... you know, it's probably pretty clear that, you know, the, the Browns and the Cubs are probably two of the most, you know, the biggest droughts in sports, um, you know, and, and if either of those teams won a championship, it'd probably be the biggest, you know, sports story in a long, long time. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just obviously sports isn't the top priority in the world, but I think it gives so many people a lot of peace and, and joy and entertainment. So um, it's just, you know, it's just fun to see, um, you know, and be able to experience it. And, you know, it, it's definitely one of those things where you'll remember exactly where you are, were in your life for all of it. For sure. Well, Adam Musso, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. And, uh, well, I know we'll keep the dialogue friendly and respectful, but uh, <laughs> honestly, may the best team win. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say just lastly that, um, you know, it's not necessarily about, you know, oh, I beat your team. And, and I never, you know, like when I was growing up, I had a lot of Packer fans that I went to high school with. And it was always like, oh, my team's better than yours. I think the biggest thing is just to, you know, enjoy what your team does. And, you know, I was, I'm in Los Angeles now. I was happy that they played the Dodgers because I was able to go to some games. But it wasn't, you know, I don't get any extra pleasure of beating another, you know, or, you know, a, the team I root for, you know, beating another city. It's more of just, they won. Um, I'm happy for that, and it could have been against anyone. For sure. Well, Adam, thanks for joining the show. We'll have to reconvene after uh, the World Series, and one of us will be consoling the other. I I can guarantee you that. Absolutely. (laughs) Special thanks to Adam Musto for coming on the show. A real good guy, sharp Chicago sports mind, all things Bears, Bulls, Blackhawks and Cubs, a little bit for the White Sox, and arena football as well. Forgot I didn't press him on that. 
All right, now it's time to tear the other side of the coin with Scott Royer, a good friend of mine, a sports enthusiast like myself, and a diehard Cleveland Indians fan. We get into what the tribe needs to do to win the World Series and what that would mean for the city of Cleveland here next on the Money Mitch Effect. Okay, so now it's time for the Cleveland Indians side of things. We gave our first half of the show respect for the Cubs, let the Cubs fans kind of get out what they want, and now it's time for the other perspective, and for that, a very special appearance, maybe a one-off, we're not really sure, this is Scott Royer, thanks for joining. Scott is a, uh, a friend of mine from grade school, high school, all the way through, and a diehard Cleveland Indians fan, so Scott, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch, glad to be here. So I say this a lot. I'm, I'm very happy with how things are going for me, but my biggest regret is not being back here for moments like this. And the Indians playoff run is right at the top of the list of times I felt homesick and not ready. Well, I mean, I have family too, but you know, we can just gloss over all that. Um, but the Indians <laughs> being in the World Series for the first time in 19 years, what was that like, Scott, the run? Everyone knows how exciting this World Series is going to be, but the run from say, the All-Star break, how good they've been playing through the postseason and now to the World Series? I mean, it's been fun following them because you never know. Like, even when we have the lead, like, at the All-Star break, everyone's like, oh, they're going to blow it or whatever. And we just kept pumping out wins and getting injured and keep winning. And being there to see the regular season is awesome. And then when you know, like, okay, magic number gets lower and lower, and then you you know you're going to make a big – postseason push is just like the energy just like every time you go to the game from like when it's the the dog days of summer leading into the fall it just gets more and more exciting and amped up and the crowd gets crazier and and like normally I hate just like going being downtown in the monstrosity of things but then once once these games get going you just want to be there when everyone's going nuts and stuff and going up to the thirsty parrot and just drinking river water and in watching the tribe, there's nothing better. I've heard about that. Actually, I did that, except for the whole watching the tribe part during the home opener. Yeah. That was uh, snowed out. But, you know, in all seriousness, this team has been fun to watch. It's been different than the teams we're used to growing up that have been good because they're yeah. younger, they're unassuming, they're not, I don't want to say as cocky, but there hasn't been the big recognizable names, at least on offense, that well, we've seen. It, I mean, those, those teams growing up were all-star teams. You know, yeah. like they... They were as big as it gets. Hall of Famers, all like perennial All Stars. Like th- this team is a little bit more scrappy. I feel like you know. I mean, we got Kluber and you know Lindor, big up and comer. But other than that, I mean, just a bunch of scrappers out there playing ball. Yeah, not as many big name All Star teams, and I think All Star names. But I think looking at it, Scott, I think that the front office has kind of studied how teams have won championships. Look at who's won the last couple World Series. Everyone throws out the Giants, the Royals last year, the Cardinals in 2011, and even the 13 Red Sox team. They did it with heart, with less big name guys, but more scrappy, you know, fighter types and a reinforced pitching staff. You know, something that those 90s teams didn't have. I mean, pitching is what wins in October for sure. I mean, you need a staff, you need a bullpen, and and going into the season, it was. Oh, our starters are unreal, but our bullpen is going to be shaky. That's what everyone was saying. And yeah. it's uh, it's like almost the opposite. Like, yeah, our bullpen is unreal, and it's like, well, we got Kluber, but other than that, start. I mean, 
merit last game. It's like what you you didn't know what you were gonna get. That no. was legendary stuff right there. I mean, that stuff doesn't happen. So, and I think looking at the bullpen, that'll segue right into what I want to talk about is overcoming adversity. We had as deep a starting staff as there was in baseball, mm-hmm. and then two of the big names get hurt. Gave me worries. I'm sure you were worried when you saw Salazar and Carrasco weren't going to be starters in the playoffs. Now Salazar might come back, but only in a relief role. But it was the bullpen. It was getting to the fifth or sixth and letting the bullpen drive it that overcame what arguably would have crippled most teams in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I give Tito a lot of credit because everyone's questioning like all his decisions he made, but he sticks to his plan and he sticks to his guys and stuff. Like, yeah, he switched it up with Miller and Allen a little bit a couple games, but I mean, he sticks to his routine and keeps the guys going for how he works the bullpen. And a lot of people are questioning how he's done it. And people question every move he makes, but he always makes the right move. I know it's easy to question anything, but the results, you know, don't lie. And everyone says Tito is like, you know, he's more of a manager of personalities than like a a game tacticianer. But and that's a bigger part of it in baseball is being able to manage a clubhouse, which Tito does better than anyone. But Every move that he's making in games is working out. He, you can't do. I with a different manager at the helm of this team, I can't say that they make it to the World Series only losing one game in the playoffs. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I don't think. I think the job he's done is as good as any managerial stretch at the very least. Yeah. What Frank Cohn has been able to do, and you know, I think looking at him and my dad brought this up the other day. You don't really notice, at least in this city, you didn't realize how big a difference a manager can make until he walked through that door. Well, I knew how big of a difference a manager can make <laughs> when, when you had Manny Acta and Eric Wedge. Oh, and uh, it's just, I mean, we, we joke and some of, I mean, Wedge won manager, manager of the year that one year. But True story, that, that happened. Yeah. And you'd look back and you kind of laugh, but... I mean, it just it just gives you a different feel. And we didn't. I mean, we haven't made the playoffs the last two years, but sticking to the formula, the front office, the front office needed this because they were. I mean, yeah. And I think that's not making the playoffs the last couple of years. Scott has been a knock of the front office. They trade away all the players at the deadline, <laughs> and then each year, Francona's gotten the team playing good ball in September. Yeah. But the hole has, has just been too much to overcome. But I mean, here we are, and. I think part of that was becoming buyers at the deadline, and I know you're very adamant about being willing to go for it to trade prospects. Everyone likes prospects, yeah. but Pro- here they go to get Andrew Miller. They trade away some yeah. good ones. I mean, when it's time to win, it's time to win. In prospects, they're not going to win you games in October, and you got to be smart about your farm system, but when you have a chance to make a run, you pull the trigger 100%. I mean, Miller has been absolutely... In unreal, best one of the best postseason pitching performances of all time. So when's the last time a reliever has won MVP of the championship series? And I want to give a shout out to my dog for the podcast, <laughs> Phoebe. We're doing this in Cleveland, but no, seriously, when's the last time I can't remember a reliever? I mean, you'd have to go back a while being an MVP of a playoff series. The I way he th- and it was clear that he deserved it. It wasn't even a, a decision, in my opinion. Absolutely, everyone knew it who watched those games that when he came in, he was lights out, and he came in in crucial moments. 
Miller's been unreal. His stuff is just ridiculous. Well, it's going to be interesting for the Yankees to watch their back-end bullpen pitch in the World Series. I know. Uh, but, you know, and I don't blame it for their side. They weren't going to make the playoffs. They got a good haul. I'm going to miss Frazier uh, yeah, as a prospect. I, but you have to make those moves if you want to win. And that's that's what the Indians have done. And being sellers, I think it, it's certain points have gotten gotten to them to where they are now. And that's, how, that's what's cyclical about the MLB and what making moves at different parts of the season is in different parts of your team's development that the ultimate goal is to be here at the World Series and, and you can look back at different moves we made different years that's gotten us here. So, um, you know, I'm just pumped and this ride's been awesome. I can't wait. It's been unbelievable to be here talking with Scott Royer on the Money Mitch Effect, the 18th episode in the series. No big deal. But <laughs> we're, uh, no, I, we're excited for the World Series and I want to get this out of the way now because we got to address it. It has been since 1948 since the Indians have won the World Series, Scott, and it's been since 97 since they made it. 95-97 were some heartbreaking years, but 97 in particular, where they went from 95, a team that was kind of happy to be there, shocked to be there, lost to one of the best postseason pitching staffs in Atlanta of all time. But 97 really did feel like we had it. What I remember most about that series, aside from the terrible ending, was the fact that they went into Florida in Game 6, down three games to two, were able to grind out a win and feel confident going into a hostile environment and ultimately had it right there in their hands. I don't want to harp on the bad memories too much, but I feel like going forward into this World Series, being a younger team without the expectations, without a lot of the you know unwarranted pressures, I think that could be a good thing. I think Chicago, on the flip side, with all that they're playing for and being expected to win, you know, could be a little fatal on their end. I mean, pressure, it, it, it's plays such a big factor in sports, and we saw it in the Cavs run this year with, with Golden State. When you don't have pressure on you and you can just go out there and, and let it rip and play, it, it's the same as momentum. I mean, momentum throughout the game, how much it carries you and how underestimated that is. And it's the same with pressure. When you can just go out there and play, it's like if, if a pitcher comes, if a relief pitcher comes in, you know, being down two pitches, is there's no pressure on them. And they normally pitch better than when if they're up by a run or right. something like that in a big game. And to your point, I think Francona, Tito, I think he did a good job, you know, demonstrating that. In each series, he's been all about winning game one. Because what does that do? That puts the pressure on the other team Exa- the whole series. Exactly. I mean, especially in the ALDS when it's a shorter game Oh, and series. I was dead wrong yeah. on that. I thought the way the pitching was set up, I thought that was a game where the Red Sox come out firing with their ace and then the Indians were able to regroup, and he flipped it to his credit, proved me wrong, we're going to win game one, we're going to go for it, we're going to make sure if we exhaust the bullpen that we have a lead in this series. And you have to. You, I love how he's playing to win every game. You have to play to win every game because people are talking about, well, you got to play in, like, you know, you don't want pitchers to go too long because what if you have to pitch them on short rest? You know, it doesn't matter if, if there's not a, another game to play. You have you yeah. have to win that game now. You have to do whatever it takes. I don't care. I mean, have these guys will be running on adrenaline. It it is what oh, it yeah. is. I mean, you just got to put them out there, and it's gut check time. It's time to play. You got to play to win every game. I don't care what it takes. Yeah, and you know, even the game that they lost this postseason, the only one throwing Kluber out game four, I thought was a bold move. But this is Francona, who's been on the other end of a three zero collapse. He doesn't want to take any chances, and I love that about him because any loss could be a spark for the other team and could lose momentum that you might not ever get back. I mean, I if I if it was me, I'd pitch. I mean, 
I'd pitch Kluber on short. I'd pitch him one, three, and seven. Kurt Schilling used to do that. I mean, Kurt Schilling's an idiot, but he used to do that all the <laughs> yeah. time for the Red Sox. I mean, yeah. they, you pitch, you pitch these guys on short rest. Well, look at Bumgarner in the World Series. He, I mean, yeah, look at what he did. I mean, you, dude, We're put these guys five and seven. Put these guys out there and let him let him pitch and win these games. I mean, I loved it when he put Kluber in. Uh, we got to win. I mean, you got to do what it takes. No, I want to look ahead towards the World Series, talking World Series with Scott Royer on the Money Mitch Effect, two Cleveland guys getting after it. Now, this is going to be the biggest challenge they need to face all year, no doubt, given that it is the World Series and it's the Chicago Cubs team that's dominated the statistics of baseball in the regular season, most wins, highest batting average, lowest DRA. But the first thing I'm looking at, Scott, that the Indians have to improve, uh, and it is a no-brainer, is the hitting. They win the ALCS, hitting under 200, I believe, as a team. That's not going to fly. We know it's not going to fly. What can they do to get through against some talented Chicago pitchers? Keep your eye on the ball. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there you go. I mean, I don't know. It, it, teams, and we saw it this year, we, we went in stretches. We, we won 14 games this year. We went on stretch. Row, we won yeah. 14 games in a row. And then we went on, you know. But we never lost more than three games or something this year. It's like... I think it was, but yeah. yeah, I mean that baseball. That's what it is. That's baseball. I mean, you just got to get hot at the right moment. And I don't know what they can do. I don't. I think Tito's got a, his lineup going pretty good. I like how our lineup looks, and I don't really want to change it uh, unless Tito wants to. And then I totally agree with him. But um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Tito, we trust. But. I, I I really I really don't know what they can do to do it. But don't try to hit home runs every time. Just get on base. Just keep trying to get on base. Right, and I think, especially in game one against Lester, who I have a lot of respect for, he's a big game pitcher. He doesn't really like fielding his position. He he's doesn't got, like small ball. He doesn't got, like base runners. And you go, you got to get him on. you got to frustrate him yeah, a little bit. He's, Lester's got the yips going to first base. We're going to be we're going to set the records for stolen bases this game. You it's going to be Taco Bell is going to go out of business because they're going to give so many tacos away for stolen well, bases. Well, that's just good for everybody's uh, <laughs> dominant muscles. Uh, no, but in all in all seriousness, I think you, it, there's a truth to that. You have to make him work. You have to make him defend his position. Uh, they have shown vulnerabilities, and I think if there's one weakness in the Cubs, it's that middle of the game going from the starters to the closer has been no problem, but if they have to go to the bullpen, I think that's a little bit of an issue. So you can't let Lester get into a groove. You can't let Hendricks get into a groove. Arietta. If they can go seven, get to Chapman in the eighth, I really don't like our chances. That's where you have to get to him. you got to get him out by the fifth or sixth inning. And that's what that's exactly what they're saying about Kluber. It's when you face aces right. like this, you have to get whatever you can off him. You have to frustrate him. You have to work the bases. You have to make him work deep into counts. Don't... Yeah, and the the tribe do a good job of that, you know, getting eight, nine, ten pitches at bats, working the count and staying patient. We have a lot of pitch batters that have good eyes, that can t- extend the count and make them work, make them get to you know five innings throwing eighty pitches or something like that. You got to make these guys going deep into counts, and because if they get in the groove, I mean, we see it with Kluber all the time. We saw it with Salazar earlier this year and Carrasco at certain points in the season. We know what these aces can do and their stuff, and that's why pitching is so important in uh, October. Yeah, and I to go on your point about Kluber, game one, really looking forward to him, need him to come out with adrenaline. The 2-3-2 format I'm not the biggest fan of, 
the only thing keeping me, you know, not fully outraged is that they decided at the All-Star game, which is kind of ridiculous anyway. So the fact that the Indians have home field against the Cubs is kind of crazy, but it's not really home field, in my opinion. Well, it's I almost mean, like a wash, well, yeah. and they didn't deserve home field if we're talking on purely records, yeah. so I'm fine with this. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows that the All-Star game deciding World Series home field advantage is an absolute joke. Yeah, thanks, that's, Bud. Bud Sule yeah, and that's Milwaukee just, Brats. That's just baseball right there. But, I mean, yeah, the 2-3-2, two, two, if, we, if we lose one here, then it's like all of a sudden, yeah, talk, about, never pre- come back. talk about pressure. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, at the same time, the National League, they I feel like they have an advantage because they don't play with the DH all year, and they're used to doing that. We're going to have to switch our whole lineup. I mean, with with Napoli and Santana rotating at the DH at first base, how are we going to do that? And that's a point I wanted to get to. Uh, first, with the Cubs, just a brief point there. I'm worried if Schwarber can play and can give them anything, that's, <laughs> that's an all-star bad in their lineup yeah. for free. The other side of it, and you touched on we had spoke about this before, what does Francona do? Because our DH is our leadoff hitter, Carlos Santana. Napoli's the first baseman. He's been the biggest you know, jolt of power that they had in the ALCS. I'm thinking, and I want to hear your take on this, but I'm thinking it's going to be a lot like Napoli's role in the 13 World Series for the Red Sox, where he doesn't start. He comes in, probably in a double switch situation, like the sixth inning or so, and finishes the game on defense. That's be, that would be what I would do, start the game off with Santana in his normal spot and ultimately pinch hit Napoli in there and get him to play defense for the last couple innings. Yeah, well, they're good. Tito's going to do something as far as pinch hitting, and if if they're hot, if one of them's hot, obviously he's going to ride him. But if one of them goes cold, and they both had stretches this postseason. I mean, Napoli was not playing good this postseason, and then he came up with a couple big home runs, and it's giving that jolt of energy and having a guy like Napoli who's like a veteran who I feel like can come in in a pitch hit situation and produce and people forget how hard that is how hard it is to come in in a big moment situation and, with probably your only bad all game yeah against the pitcher you might not have faced and and produce and i do agree with you i think napoli's better better suited than santana for that role mm-hmm. and i like the continuity of having the same leadoff guy up there as almost ridiculous as it is that santana's on we go everybody's doing a great well, job they they started it in spring t- tito started it in spring training and everyone thought it was like a rumor or a joke or something when reporters were calling from arizona saying santana's gonna lead off but it wasn't and it's worked out and tito we trust right now and it every every movie makes just turns to gold yeah it's uh it's i'm you know i sometimes i get lost in his eyes just watch the <laughs> game and watch his decisions but no i i agree Francona is going to have his work cut out for him, but if there's anybody capable of doing it, it's him. On the flip side, Scott, with the Chicago Cubs lineup, that's that's another nightmare in its entirety. And I'm a little worried. The thing that hurts me the most is I would have rather them coasted to the World Series like us. I don't like the fact, as someone wrote for the Indians, that they've had their test of adversity and they've passed with flying colors. Because ultimately, unfortunately, I think that's going to help them this round. That said... I think the Indians have a chance if they can get ahead in the count and if they could limit, you know, you can't give this team anything because if you put a man on base, it could be 2 nothing just like that. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about adversity and yeah, I mean, but if you get to this point of the season, no matter what, you've gone through some type of adversity and I think yeah. for the Tribe, it's more of their regular season and they go back to injuries and talking about how they've gotten so beat up and their pitching staff and how they just keep next man up mentality almost and just keep putting people in and and overcoming you know bad stretches of the bats being cold and stuff like that and you know you you 
put in your head whatever you want to think of adversity and and right. I, mean, I everybody, think everybody, everybody says fine. next man up, but yeah. only a few teams actually. Only if you it. have merit on your, in your right staff. because he is the next man up. <laughs> um, no, and I think to go on that when the Indians are facing the Cubs, Scott, they can't. The leadoff hitter is in that lineup. I mean, you know what Rizzo and Bryant can do. They can't have base runners. Yeah. What's the best way to neutralize a guy like that? How did the Indians neutralize Ortiz? They didn't give him base runners in front of him. Mm-hmm. And so if you can do that, you have a chance. Now, I also think getting into the late game, one of the hardest things in baseball to do for a hitter might be coming into a game, you know, batting in the eighth, ninth inning against a guy like Chapman. You've been facing normal pitching all game. And you got this guy throwing 103 at times. So I think, I really don't want us to be down and go, it's obviously cliche, but it's going to be hard to overcome late inning uh, you know, deficits against this Cubs team. I really believe that. Yeah, I mean, Chapman is just, he can throw the stinky cheese. I mean, I don't know <laughs> yeah. what else to say. I know, rookie the of the year, man. I'm going to have to not watch it this week. It's going to be a rough week for us. Because I, you know, personally, you I have You watch Major League, though. I, I always watch Major League. Way better League. than Rookie of the Year. I, uh, we're starting already. I, all, you know, I have personally nothing against the Cubs. We're just playing them, and I hope we beat them. Yeah. But, you know, I, I like some of the players on the team. Rookie of the Year was good. Bill Murray, <laughs> I'm a fan of, you know. But, hey, battles of war, you know. May the best team win. Before we wrap this up, talking uh, World Series with uh, Scott Royer on the Money Mitch Effect. We've never seen an Indians parade, and our parents have never seen an Indians parade if they win the title. 1948 was the last time they've won. I know the Cubs have been waiting 108 years. We ourselves have been waiting, what is that, 78 years? So it's, uh, it's time. It's time. And I want to know your thoughts, Scott, on what that would be like. I said 70. I think it's 68 years. 68 years. What do you think it would be like, that moment? Indians win the World Series. Uh, what 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 do you think? Could you possibly you know, tell me at this moment what you think would be racing through your head well, Try World Series well, champions? You, ta- you talked about the 90s teams, which we watched growing up, and the fond memories we have of that, and you kind of talked about what you remember of those series and kind of situational baseball and stuff like that. What I remember most is the emotions of it and just enjoying the ride and tribe fever and being a kid and getting your face painted Chief Wahoo on it and, and going out and going to school with the tribe gear on and and it's like the tribe more than anything else. I mean, I know we love the Browns, and this is a Browns town yeah. for sure. But it's just like we were so good at that pinnacle point of our sports upbringing. That Probably the it best just, time to be young. Yeah, yes, and we just – it was just so much fun and going nuts for every game with your dad and your neighbors and your brothers and your cousins. And it's just like the nostalgia of it is awesome. And it's going to bring back all those feelings of just loving the tribe and loving going to the games. And more than any other professional sports, baseball, I – I enjoy going to in live more than any other sport, and I think it's just, I don't know what it's going to feel like. I mean, we just felt it with the Cavs, and it's just like an awesome feeling and going nuts with your buddies and stuff like that, but it's just going to bring back all those memories growing up and how much you love the tribe and how much you can't wait for next year and enjoy the celebration, and it's going to be and drink a bunch of river water at the Parrot. Drink a bunch of river <laughs> We don't even work for the Parrot, but we're hyping them up pretty good. Um, but no, and, and I agree with that as well. I think... You know, we talk about the Indians' times growing up. There have been some hardships recently, but we were kids, and they were selling out 400, I think, 55 straight games. They had a lot of excitement around the stadium. It was a great time to be an Indians fan. Some of that's waned in the recent years, but it starts with a front office that's committed, getting the right people and in a Terry Francona to come in, the right players. And, you know, I just think of all the moments we've had as Indians fans, 
to see the culmination of that. That's what I think of. I think it's complete because we've always had good Indians fans here. It's a tribe town as much as it, you know, it is a Brownstown, but we obviously like the Indians here a lot. And I don't think a championship necessarily makes or breaks a fan base. We've seen that with the Browns. You're going to show up and root for your team. I think it's a culmination. It's, it's hard work. And I think about people like our parents' generation that haven't seen it. That's the first thing that I think of. And it's funny, that's a parallel that I get with talking to Cubs fans, is that our generation, we love it, we love to see it, but there's people that have waited a lot longer than us, and uh, it's going to be good for them if we can pull this one out and win the World Series. You know, World Series baseball, I watch every year, you know, whether or not our team's in it, but having a minute, it's just an unbelievable experience and tough to describe. So with Scott Royer, Money Mitch Effect, all right, it's that time. We're going to wrap up the interview. I think we've been breezing through this pretty good, you know, good, good brisk pace. A lot of uh, drinking references, but hey, what can you do? <laughs> but all right, so it's World Series prediction time. Man, this is going to be tough because I feel like I could just give you a prediction <laughs> right now. But give me a summation of how you see the series going and ultimately a winner. Best of your objective uh, abilities. Objectively? All right, I'll be as objective as possible. As you can. You know, we're not, we're not too stingy. All right, well, I see, I see our bats getting hot. Early in the series and staying hot throughout the rest of the series, I see our pitchers shutting down the Cubs lineup, and I say Tribe and Four. <laughs> Sweet, easily. We got Tito at the helm. We got the so, best skipper in baseball. The oh. Cubs are garbage, and they're going to lose. All right, so um, I really now I'm thinking what, what your answer would have been if I didn't say it as objectively as possible. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed how I thought it would go. Let me just try to counteract that as best I could. I don't disagree with you on a lot of that. I would all Francona. <laughs> Madden's good too. Probably the two best managers in baseball. Shout out to Bruce Bochy, but I think these are my two favorite. I think this is going to be a series of momentum swings. I think you could see games that in this same series 2-1 versus 10-9. I think you could see both of that. Yeah. Everything's going to reset going into each one. I think home field advantage does matter in each individual game. And uh, I like the Indians' bats to progress down the stretch. I'm going Tribe in seven. I nice. think it's a full seven. Nice. I say they split the first two. I'll even say the Cubs come back to game six up 3-2, and then the Tribe take game wow. six and seven. Wow, I would love that. That'd be awesome. I think that's the way we're going. And uh, look, I'm happy we're here. Am I going to be crushed if we lose? Yes. But the ride's been amazing, and you got to enjoy the journey. That's the only way you really enjoy the championship is if you enjoy the journey, and it's been phenomenal. And that's what we love about sports is the pure drama of sports and hanging on every pitch. And, yeah, if we lose, you'll be crushed, but whatever. Who cares? It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's just awesome. Because wins aren't guaranteed. You, yeah. you have to have the threat of losing to make winning feel that much better. Exactly. And it's, it, I just it can't wait for the ride, hanging on every pitch. The pure drama of a full count in the World Series, it, there's nothing like it, you know? Yeah, oh, I totally agree. And one last thing. I know I told you before we started, but I have a niece born today, uh, Vivian, my uh, sister's second child. She could be born to only knowing the Indians as winners. Exactly. Congratulations, so, Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's going to do it for the show, for the interview with Scott Royer. Thanks for coming on. And I just hope, you know, I'm going to be here in Cleveland for games one and two. If they win in six or seven, or even if they win in four or five, the party's still in downtown Cleveland. I'm going to be checking Snapchat religiously, so <laughs> you better come through. For sure, always. All right, thanks, Scott. Thanks again to Scott Royer and Adam Musto for 
coming on the Money Mitch Effect and talking baseball. Uh, it was a blast to talk with two passionate sports fans like them. And thanks to everyone out there for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. We have a great World Series lined up. I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. Whether you're a Cubs or an Indians fan, just like we said in both of them, just enjoy the ride. You can find all Money Mitch Effect episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play. Follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. And thanks again for listening. We are going to have a great month lined up. Lots of stuff to talk about. It's only going to get better from here. And thank you for joining me. I'm the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michael signing off. Enjoy the World Series. Go try. <laughs>